please remain standing for the reading of God's word as you are able. The text for this morning's uh, message comes from the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 34 through 43. The text will be on the screen as I read. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went through and how he went around doing good, doing good, and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the, in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of God. Please be seated. morning, church. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity City Church. I know we have a lot of visitors on the Easter Sunday, so it's good to have you here and host you. Uh, kids are being dismissed for Children's Church, and a big reminder to parents to pick them up early. As soon as we uh, pivot from the sermon to baptisms, uh, we encourage you to pick up your kids and bring them back in here uh, so that they can uh, be a part of the uh, baptisms as well as the volunteers in the classroom. Uh, so just a big reminder to do that. I'll try to remember to remind you after the sermon, too, as well. We are uh, not doing our typical sermon series right now. We're doing a sermon series on the resurrection, a shocking topic, I know, on a day like this, but that's what we picked. Uh, if you're visiting and you're wondering what we uh, are in the middle of in terms of a sermon series, we, for some reason, have chosen the book of Revelation to go through, so we will not be looking at Revelation today. Uh, maybe my personal hope, because it's such a difficult uh, book to preach through is maybe the rapture will happen between Easter and the next Sunday, uh, so I don't have to finish the book. That'd be, that'd be great. Uh, but if you want to come back and you're curious about that book, uh, that's what we are studying today. We are looking at a passage from uh, the lectionary uh, from the book of Acts, and uh, you'll see in a little bit why I picked this particular reading, because there's many different readings from the Old Testament, the Psalms, the New Testament, the Gospels, and I think this is a, a, a one that's just a great word for us and some of the current struggles that modern people have. So let's pray and get right into the sermon today. Let's pray. Lord, we don't always find it easy to hear your word and to sense your presence. We often have a lot going on, a lot of burdens, a lot of distractions, a lot of anxiety and stress, and things that we are feeling that are weighing down our souls. So we ask you right now, because you are alive and you rose from the dead, to come, reveal yourself to us, meet us in this space, 
We're gathered here to hear your word and to celebrate your resurrection. So be here, Lord, and make yourself known. Set our heavy hearts on fire with love for you and send us on our way rejoicing for your name's sake. Amen. Today, St. Paul and Minneapolis uh, still have a sort of sibling rivalry, but nothing like it looked in years past. The two cities were divided by more than a river, and let me give you a couple examples uh, to prove the point. After an economic downturn in 1857, uh, which caused a lot of cities uh, to have to rebuild because of that, that had an impact on the cities in, of St. Paul, Minneapolis. At the time, St. Paul was larger than Minneapolis, if you can believe that. And also, because of that, was much more impacted by this downturn than the younger and upcoming Minneapolis, the city across the river. By 1890, it was becoming clear that Minneapolis was going to outgrow St. Paul. And it was also a year of census and taking census data in. And each city was trying to pad the numbers because they were in competition for which city was going to be the biggest. And they had reason to be suspicious of one another. Each city was accusing the other of, of stretching the numbers and counting too many people. And they had reason to believe in this. One side may list one single family home as having 60 to 100 residents, while the other made a fictional residence in the Union Depot. This is stuff that was going on at the time. And then this census led to both cities uh, uh, actually taking census uh, uh, takers to court from the other side to try to get them in prison. So that's one example. Things were, things were a little salty during that time. There's some tension. Here's another one having to do with baseball. It's spring. Uh, I, think, I think winter has finally kicked, or spring has finally kicked winter out the door, wore out its long Minnesota goodbye, so spring brings in baseball. Let's talk baseball. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, each city had a professional baseball team. There was the St. Paul Saints, that was a professional team at the time, and the Minneapolis Millers. And they would play each other sometimes, and sometimes they would play each other twice a day, and it was called the streetcar doubleheader, where one uh, city would host a game in the morning, and then people would take streetcars over to the other city in the afternoon or evening to watch the second game. And this uh, streetcar doubleheader was known for being something that would get the blood boiling of each city when they would play this game on this, these games on these days. They were so heated that even the newspapers would get into the bickering and charge the other with playing dirty ball. They were each playing dirty ball, and one particular journalist writing for the Minneapolis Tribune at the time threatened to serve the manager and the owner of the Saints a formal notice that, quote, this is what the journalist said, that the Minneapolis club will not play today's game unless guaranteed that there will be no spiking of Minneapolis players, no interference on the part of the crowd, no throwing of rocks, no throwing of dust and dirt in the eyes of Minneapolis players, and the few other tricks which were featured in yesterday's game. That's just a normal, normal baseball game between the two cities. So as you can tell, things were hot. Today, things are a little bit more tame. Like two brothers who used to get into fistfights when they were younger, uh, they still kind of banter at an older age. That's how the cities behave towards one another now. I often hear folks from Minneapolis refer to St. Paul as uh, a fine and smaller suburb of theirs. Uh, there's not, they don't have any issues with it. It's just a nice suburb on the other side of the river. 
And I remember reading a St. Paul business owner say this about Minneapolis, quote, Minneapolis is where they keep all the shady people in strip bars. All the people there are sad and drunk, end quote. That was a business owner from St. Paul who ironically owned a pub uh, that said that. <laughs> So a little tamer today, we're not throwing rocks and dirt at each other, but still there's a little bantering back and forth. Now looking back at not only our history, but also our current moment uh, and just human history in general, people always will find reasons to divide against one another. Different political parties and positions will split family and friendships. Urban and rural folks are both critical of one another in today's world. And even secular and religious people find it difficult to have a conversation or share a drink and a meal. I know that's our experience today. And I always ask the question because I know many of you, whether you're religious or not, feel this cultural divide, feel this tension, feel this tribalism that's bubbling up in our culture. And if you're like me, you ask the question, how do we overcome these things that prevent us from getting together and breaking bread and sharing a drink? So I chose this story from the lectionary reading because I think it gives an answer for us and an example for us to follow as well. It reminds us that overcoming some of the greatest divisions between people, in order to do that, we need someone more powerful to bring us together. And that someone needs something like the power that can raise the dead. So let's get into this story. And before I get into the, the specific verses that were read today, let me set up what's going on in this story in the book of Acts. You remember the book of Acts takes place right after the death and resurrection of Jesus. It shows how this, this small group of disciples uh, start to turn into a global faith that we know of today. This story specifically takes place in a city called Caesarea, which was an important town where there you have your theaters, you have racetracks, you have temples from different faiths and religion. It was a typical city, an urban environment. And this town had strong ties to uh, the Roman authorities and a big Gentile pres presence in its culture and religion. If you don't know what that word Gentile means, it's simply a word that the scriptures use to refer to anybody who's not Jewish. That person would be a Gentile. One of those Gentiles, his name is Cornelius, and he's a leader uh, of, of a large military unit that functions more like today's National Guard, not somebody that's an over a unit, an active military, but something more like a National Guard. Nonetheless, he's a person not only known for his leadership and success in his career, he's also very open and committed to God, in particular the God of uh, the Jewish people. The Jewish people would consider him God-fearing, which is more than just a general curiosity about spirituality, but this is a person that actually reveres the God who created heaven and earth. And he's interested in this same God that Jewish people worship. Although he's not likely to maybe uh, participate in all the religious customs and cultural customs of that people. They, he might not practice all the rituals, and he definitely doesn't probably practice some of the dietary laws of this faith. Yet this commitment to God shows in his actions. He know, he's known as a person of prayer, and he's known as a person who is generous to those on the margins of society. As a, any spiritual religious person, he has times of prayer. And at 3, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he goes up to pray, and he has a vision during one of these times of routine prayer. And in this vision, an angel shows up and calls Cornelius by his name. 
And Cornelius, he gets scared and asks the angel, likely with a trembling voice, why are you here, sir? And this is how we would respond, too, if a warrior of light showed up during your times of prayer. We'd be a little bit uncomfortable. We'd be a little bit fearful. The angel, which serves as a divine messenger from God and from his heavenly throne room, says to Cornelius, God hears your prayers and sees your life of generosity. And in response, God is going to answer your prayer. So send some of your men to a city called Joppa and bring back a man named Peter. He's staying in a house by the sea where uh, Simon, who makes his living by tanning leathers, that's his house, and that's where he lives. I love how specific this command is. Peter is staying, this is great apostle Peter, is staying with someone who tans leather for a living, and he lives at a home right by the sea on the Mediterranean Sea. This sounds like a place I would like to hang out with. Not only because of the location, it sounds like a vacation home or like a nice, sweet Airbnb, but also I love leather products. This would be great to talk to somebody whose vocation is to tan leather, and that's where Peter is staying. Once the angel leaves, back to Cornelius, he did everything that the angel asked, And now he commands, because he's a leader of this unit, commands some of his men to go to Joppa, which is about 30 miles away, to go and bring Peter back. While these men are traveling from Cornelius' home, Peter is also spending some time in prayer. Peter, as a reminder, is one of the 12 apostles or disciples of Jesus, one of the 12 people that were the closest to Jesus and witnessed him die on the cross and raised from the dead. This Peter is also in a time of routine prayer, and he goes up on the roof of Simon's house to pray. And he does so as food is being prepared in the home. It's about mealtime, and while he's praying, he gets hungry. And then his mind starts to wander. Isn't that just such a human detail in the book of Acts? Does your mind ever wander in prayer, especially if you're hungry and you're thinking about food? That's a detail. That's happened to the great apostle Peter who saw the crucifixion of Jesus and Jesus bodily raised from the dead. His mind wanders and thinks about food during his time of prayer. Well, this starts to turn into what the text says is a trance, another vision where Peter is not only thinking about the Lord and thinking about food, but a vision happens. He sees this sheet descend like a tablecloth down from heaven And on this sheet is a bunch of animals, all kinds of different animals that uh, Peter, as a Jewish Christian, would consider unclean, that you don't touch those animals, you you don't eat those animals. And as this sheet full of these animals descends from heaven, he hears a voice that tells him, get up, kill, and eat. You have to appreciate the tension that Peter likely felt in this moment. I know many of us might not have any type of customs or background in our culture where we might have dietary restrictions, but urban people sure do have vegans, right? We have vegans, we have a lot of vegans in St. Paul and Minneapolis, and, and vegans in this congregation, you guys are chill, you're righteous, you're not trying to impose your religion on anybody else, so I appreciate you. So this isn't a dig towards you, but Many of us have have met the vegan who is very self-righteous about it, wants everybody else to know they're a vegan, will boast that it's been decades, decades since they ate meat or smelt cheese or contacted their senator about bacon, right? This is the type of vegan that is really, really into it, and you would just never imagine that this person would even ponder the thought of eating something out uh, out of the dietary restrictions that he or she embraces. So picture that person having this vision 
where a sheet descends from heaven filled with bacon and meat and cheese and eggs, and the Lord says, vegan, take up and eat, right? It's that type of tension. He's, this person is thinking like, never, it's been decades, maybe my whole lifetime, I've never, I've refused my mother's milk, that's how much I'm into this, right? That's what the vegan is thinking, like, I would never do this. This is the same type of tension that Peter is feeling. And he even says that, he says, I would never do this, Lord, I have never done this. I have never eaten this food that is unclean. Now, a little bit of background from the Old Testament. When uh, uh, the scriptures talk about uh, dietary restrictions and say that somebody that eats an unclean animal is also unclean, it's not saying that they've done something morally wrong, but it's all connected to these rituals and customs that we're trying to prove a point, that when you are exposed to something unclean, it has impacts in, on your life. And for the Jewish people, people if they ate something that was unclean, it meant that they had to separate from worshiping God for a season until they were made clean. And they also couldn't hang out with God's people for a time. So understandably, Peter says, I'm not going to do that. This is against who I am. So then the voice from heaven says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this is only the one who has authority to change this custom that's voicing this command. This is God Almighty saying with his own authority that I lift this requirement. These things are no longer unclean, which is why many of you are probably going to eat some ham this afternoon or this evening, right? But it's more than that. There's more going on than just actually the food that Christians now embrace as opposed to maybe the Jewish faith and some of the customs in the Old Testament. And so much is this ingrained into Peter that he still needs to be convinced, even after hearing uh, this command from heaven. A third time the command and a voice comes from heaven that tells Peter to take up and to eat. And he still is so confused. And even when he snaps out of the vision, he is trying to sort everything out in his head. And at that time, these men that Cornelius sent show up to Simon's house. And they ask for Peter because they knew he was there. Peter's still on the roof trying to figure out his life and this crazy vision he had. And then the Holy Spirit says to Peter, the three men are looking for you. Go downstairs and don't put up a fuss about traveling with them. So note at this part of the story, Peter has seen an angel, heard a voice from heaven, and then is commanded by the Holy Spirit to go and to listen to God. That's how much convincing he needs to do this because of all the barriers that he has. So Peter goes down to the, goes down to the, the main part of the house and greets these men from Cornelius and asks, why have you come here? And this is what they say in Acts chapter 10, verse 22. The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to, to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. These men have been traveling a long time, and now Peter invites them in as guests to stay the night before they head out in the morning. And this is actually a very important small step that Peter just took. Because you have to appreciate this. It wasn't just about the food for this Jewish Christian named Peter. It was also was a reason that he would never have table fellowship with a Gentile, would never go into the house of a Gentile, would consider that only if I ate the food that Gentiles eat, but even to have 
some type of friendship to host a Gentile even would make me unclean. So the fact in this part of the story that he lets them stay the night means a small bit of progress is being made as he's obeying the commands of the Lord. Now, the next day, Peter travels with Cornelius' men uh, to Caesarea, and he brings along with him some other Jewish Christians. Cornelius is expecting him to come, and so because of his influence, he's a man, again, of, of uh, a good reputation in the city. He's a, he's a leader of his community. So because of that, he invites all of his family and a good bit of his friends to come over to the house, and he throws a bit of a house party waiting for Peter to show up. So once Peter approaches the house, Cornelius sees him, and he falls at the feet of Peter as if he's a heavenly messenger. And Peter isn't some type of like social media influencer. He's not into this type of attention. He doesn't like it because for Peter, it's all about the gospel. It's about God's glory. So he tells Cornelius, stand up. I'm only human. And so Peter begins to chat with Cornelius as they walk inside the home. And Peter notes it's a full house. There's a lot of people here. And then this is what the text says in Acts 10, 28. Peter said to them, You are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you have sent for me? Peter notes, this is not something I typically do, but God had something to say to me to come into this house, to, to do something that I typically do not do. I do not associate, let alone break bread or hang out in the same home with Gentiles, but yet God told me to be here, and I came here without objection, which, if you know the backstory, was a bit of a stretch, Peter. There was some objection. It took three times for the Lord to convince you to do this, but nonetheless, he's here. And he goes into this house, and again, it's a full house, I mean, you got to picture this. This could be like Gentiles on the floor, on the furniture, right? This, this home is just bursting at the seam with Gentiles, right? They're, it's like this house party where like Gentiles are drinking the coffee and eating pork and like, and like Peter is invited to come into this setting. And Peter does. He comes in there. And why does he do it? Because God told him not to call Gentiles impure or clean because, again, it was more, about more than the food, all right? Peter notes that he's not entirely sure why he's here. And so he asks, why did you send for me? Cornelius unpacks the backstory that we all know by now. Days ago, I was praying at 3 p.m. A heavenly messenger comes with dazzling clothes, stood before me and said, God has heard my prayers and seen my life. And the angel commands me to send for you and even tells me exactly where you're at, who owns the home and what line of work that person has. So I did what it was asked of me. I sent for you with some of my people, and now you're here, and we're all here. On God's orders and in God's presence, we are here, and we want to listen to anything you have to say. As a pastor, that's a crazy setup. I'd love if that happened to me. Like a bunch of people outside of my faith invite me over and just say, hey, God told us to arrange this. We don't know what you're going to say, but have the floor. Say whatever you want. That sounds like a great time. What a setup, right? But I think one of the things that this is striking is that most of the time, even in our modern society, people feel weird and awkward about talking about religion. I mean, I think today more people would be willing to talk about politics than religion. And so most of the time it feels like nobody would ever do something like this anymore. But I think that shows how divided we are in today's world. 
Because I know of being a pastor in St. Paul for uh, the decades I've been here, that there are many people outside the faith that are curious about spiritual things, but they just do not have a space to talk about it. They feel like they can't do it at work because their boss might get upset with them because this is a secular environment. We can't talk about spiritual things here. They also feel like they might not be able to go to an assembly like this because they don't have it all together. They don't have, it, uh, they don't have a faith that identifies with the Christian faith. Even more, they might be open to God and maybe that he did send Jesus his son. They just are not sure. And because they are not sure, they are not sure if they can come here. And so there is this this vacuum that exists in our modern world where there are people that long to talk about spiritual things, but there aren't people that are willing to cross the divide to get into a space where somebody that has faith and somebody that doesn't have faith can get together in the same room around the same table and start chatting about things. These are spaces we need today, and God is in the business of, of organizing these types of meetings. The setting of this story is something that we need in today's day. So Peter's in this space that he typically doesn't go into with a house full of people willing to listen to anything he has to say. So what does Peter say? And that gets into the scripture reading today. Acts 10, 34. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So before Peter shares the message of the gospel, which has led to the conversions of many uh, people throughout time and across the globe, Peter emits a conversion of his own. Not a conversion away from the faith, but a conversion about how he views Gentiles and people that are other to him, people that he doesn't fellowship with. Peter's a great leader in the early church, but he's not perfect. He denied Jesus three times, abandoned him when the Lord was being executed, Jesus still restored Peter, yet Peter, even to this day, is still struggling with some other things. And he, he, isn't, he isn't into generously sharing his faith with all people. Why? Because, again, Peter believed that God favored Jewish Christians. But the Lord revealed to Peter this truth, not a new truth, but an old one, that God desires his people to bless all people, that the Christian faith may have started in Jerusalem, but it is a faith for people all the way to the ends of the earth because Jesus is Lord of all. God does not favor people like we favor one another. We split people into groups based on appearance, ethnicity, nationality, class, or politics, and human beings love to figure out a way to make those people those people that must be separate from me and become like me to get any type of favor from God or anything else. They must become like my people in order to have grace and salvation. But the Christian faith is a global faith and a faith that is offered to everyone and says, you do not have to become like a certain group in order to follow the Lord, but God accepts everyone who fears him and desires to walk on paths of righteousness. Now, it's important to note that Peter is not saying that one just needs to live a good life and not accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's not the point he's making. The point is for Cornelius and the other Gentiles and the crowd gathered there that they didn't need to become Jewish like Peter before they could become Christian. So, it's worth reminding us about the Christian faith that to believe in Jesus and to become a Christian, you do not have to be affiliated with a particular political party or to move to a different neighborhood or country or to make a certain amount of money or have everything in life 
and common together with a certain group of people. You don't even have to have everything figured out. No, the path to Christ and the Christian faith is for everyone, and it's offered freely. But just so you know, this free gift will change you. Deep in our souls, we will be changed, and so will the direction of our life. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and we are called as Christians to repent, to change from our path to one that Jesus is on, to follow him because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and to believe in the gospel, that is the good news of Jesus Christ, is to be changed. Now Peter will go on to make this good news clear. Look at verse 36. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judah, or Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Peter says to this room full of people, this house full of people, you know this message, you heard it. Remember, this is happening during the time that these historical events take place and these Gentiles likely heard the news, they likely heard the buzz about what was happening. He says, remember what you have heard. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, it didn't occur in hiding. It was in plain sight, and people are talking about it, and the news is spreading. The Christian faith is about a historic event that happened in a specific province and region where God sent his chosen one, Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and power to announce the good news of peace, peace with God and peace between people and the peace of all things that the gospel brings. Jesus restored and renewed everyone and everything around him. He gave sight to the blind. He forgave sins. He cast out demons. He raised the dead back to life. Everything that was evil attempted to tear Jesus down, but he brought life back together and brought peace and beat back sin, death, and the devil because he is not only fully human, but fully God. Although this ministry of Jesus is righteous and true, Jesus, as we know, was executed like a criminal on the cross. Jesus was broken, beaten, and killed. And if, there were, and if this was the end of the story, there would be no Christian faith. There would be no Easter celebration. But what we celebrate with Christians throughout the globe and throughout history is the reality that the, 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 the death in a tomb could not keep eternal life in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day, and Jesus took on evil, sin, and death in that moment and took them out. Can I get amen on that if you believe that, brothers and sisters? And Peter is making this clear. This gospel is not a good opinion that I have. This is good news. It's a reality of history to be accepted, not a spiritual idea to be debated. Peter goes on in verse 41 to say this. He was not seen by all the people, this is Jesus, but by witnesses whom God has already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him, everyone who believes in him, 
receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Not everyone saw the things, but many people did. Many people saw the historic events of the gospel. God chose to make his gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus, a public event. And Peter and other disciples had a front row seat to these things. After Jesus rose from the dead, they had meals with Jesus and drank wine with Jesus. They couldn't deny what their eyes saw and what their ears heard and what their hands touched. As witnesses, God commands those that saw this and witnessed this to not keep the message to themselves. They're to generously share this news with everyone, including those Peter in this moment was hesitant to break bread with. And in this moment, Peter declares... Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. He's still alive, and every person will be before him one day. But on that day, everyone who believes who Jesus says he is and what he did will receive forgiveness of sins. And in the courtroom, the judge will reconcile all those who are his, not because they're Jewish or Gentile, but because of belief. Belief only recognizes the message of the gospel Not only does it recognize it, but embraces it as true and that this truth sets us free and forgives us all of our sins. And it's a love so amazing as this hymn, the Christian hymn says, it demands my soul, my life, my all. Facing Jesus is not a terrifying thing for those who embrace him because it means that in that day we are declared forgiven, righteous, adopted, loved, both now and forever. So what happens? Peter gets in this moment, he preaches the gospel, and the setting says, the story says that the Holy Spirit shows up and descends on the Gentiles who are filling this house. You see, earlier in the book of Acts, the same thing happened to Jewish Christians when they turned to Jesus. The Holy Spirit shows up in a unique and tangible way where they're speaking tongues that they usually don't understand, but they're in a room full of people that are doing it and they understand what each other is saying. And so the Holy Spirit shows up in a way that is very tangible as a result for people turning to Jesus. And it's important that now the same experience is happening to these now Gentile Christians that happened before to Jewish Christians. The people that Peter used to think were too unclean to have a meal with are now part of the same faith because they've encountered the same Lord. When faith is shared in Christ, there is no longer Jew nor Gentile because all are one in Christ. Verse 47 says, Peter says this, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Baptism is a sacrament where new people are welcomed into God's family as brothers and sisters because of their belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And days ago, Peter would not have had a Gentile stay the night with him, let alone consider him a brother or sister in Christ. And now he's calling for them to be baptized. Why? Because God made it clear that belief in Christ overcomes all man-made divisions. No one should stand in the way of God's will. The blood of Christ that cleanses sinners is more powerful than any type of bad blood between human beings. And these now Gentile Christians had Peter and the other, Christian, the other Jewish Christians with him stay with them for a few days. And they do, where they likely shared stories, meals, and life together in those moments. Let's go back to baseball to conclude. These two great cities, Minneapolis-St. Paul, at one point had their own professional 
baseball teams. We still have a minor league team over here in St. Paul, right? The St. Paul Saints are still here, but it's minor league. We have one professional baseball team now called the Minnesota Twins. And if you've ever been to their games at Target uh, Field, uh, you probably noted right in center field, in the middle of the, the field, there's a logo, an old school logo uh, of two baseball players shaking hands. It looks like this if you've never been there. They even have names if you didn't know. There's Minnie and Paul shaking hands there, and they're both uh, wearing different uniforms. One is from uh, the Millers, uh, the Minneapolis Millers, and the other one is the St. Paul Saints. And here they are shaking hands with what between them? A river that used to be uh, uh, a reason to divide against one another, but now there's a bridge over it bringing the teams together as the Minnesota Twins. In the Christian faith, we too have symbols and rituals that bring us together. It is the cross that brings sinners from every tongue, tribe, and nation together in one faith and under one Lord. We have an empty tomb that reminds us that the power that holds this global faith together is alive and real. And we celebrate this unity through baptism and the Lord's Supper. And baptism says, welcome to the family. And the Lord's Supper is a way that we have fellowship around this table in an ongoing way. And it's these two ordinances and sacraments that we turn to now. But before I do, let me just give this one last application. This all started with prayer. And if you're a believer in Jesus and you feel the division in our culture, maybe a good place to start is in your times of prayer. And to listen to who God is telling you to reach out to, that you typically don't hang out with that you typically don't break bread with, that you don't gather in church with, because maybe that is exactly the person who longs to have a spiritual conversation with somebody has not found the safe place to do it. But if you're here this morning and you don't identify with the Christian faith, you're maybe curious about it, so you showed up on Easter, or you're, you got drug along with family, and that's why you're here, you're welcome here. But my charge to you as well is, even if you're not a praying person, maybe you're open to it, give it a try. Start praying, especially if you long to lean into spiritual things, but you've never had a space to do it. And see what the Lord will do. Maybe there'll be somebody you can invite into your life and around your table that can you have those conversations with. And this is a space for you to also have a place to have those types of questions.